There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to the History of Islam podcast, episode 11, The First Believers. Hello and welcome back to another installment of the History of Islam podcast. Last episode we went over the beginnings of Islam with the incident at the cave of Hera and then we began looking at the first few people who knew of Islam and accepted it. The next person that Muhammad revealed his secret to was the boy from the clan of Beni Taim who we mentioned about two episodes ago and we said that his name was Abdullah and he was about two years younger than Muhammad. The two men had been close friends for a long time now. Abdullah was the boy's real name but in an effort to add an element of surprise I have withheld what Abdullah's kunya was, what his nickname was. As you know by now for the vast majority of Arabs in that time period you were more commonly known by your nickname rather than by the name given to you at birth. Abdullah was no exception to this somewhat general rule and his kunya which again means nickname is the name that we recognize him by today and it is the name that we recognize him by in history. Abdullah was more commonly known as Abu Bakr a towering figure in Islamic history, the man who would eventually succeed Muhammad and become the first rightly guided caliph. Abu Bakr, after Muhammad, is arguably the person who contributed most to the rise of Islam. He was a relatively successful merchant before the coming of Islam and he had managed to amass for himself over the years a somewhat significant fortune. He was a very well-liked and respectable man in his social circles and in his business dealings. He had also become quite well-known in Mecca for his soft character and specifically his politeness and manners. Almost immediately after accepting his friend's message, Abu Bakr set about looking to bring what he had just discovered to those closest to him and those that he trusted. The next five people to embrace Islam were all converted by the hand of Abu Bakr. These five are Uthman ibn Affan from the clan of Bani Abd Shams, Zubair ibn al-Awwam from the clan of Bani Asad, 
Abdul Rahman ibn Auf from the clan of Bani Zuhra, Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas from the clan of Bani Zuhra also, and finally Talha ibn Ubaidullah from the clan of Bani Taim, which was the clan that Abu Bakr belonged to. If you need a reminder regarding the clans that they belong to, I'll add some additional information in the episode guide uh, to help you find the extra information that you require. Anyway, as you might expect from such early converts, these five are all major towering figures in early Islamic history. Uh, We'll definitely come across them further on in our podcast and further on in our story, but just two examples from our five. First of all, Uthman would eventually become the third caliph. Uh, Some of you may recognize the name already. And the other example that glares out of these five is Sa'd, who would later in his life lead the conquest of Persia. If you were to ask the average Muslim today, who was the first to embrace Islam? They will most likely answer with Khadija was the first woman, Abu Bakr was the first man, and Ali was the first child to embrace Islam. The only element of this common and widespread statement that is actually universally agreed upon is that Khadija was the first woman or first person to accept Islam. After her, unfortunately, it is disputed. The majority of people, depending greatly on what sect of Islam they adhere to, would say that the first person to accept Islam after Khadija would be either Abu Bakr, Muhammad's close friend, or Ali, his cousin, and in all practical matters, his adopted son. And this is most probably due to the later Sunni-Shia split, which was initially political in nature, but today it has become more than just politics. It has become a dogmatic split as well. The Shia initially wanting to elevate the position of Ali, uh, and the Sunnis doing the same with Abu Bakr, because obviously there is an honor and prestige in being the first person, the first man, to accept Muhammad's message and embrace the religion of Islam. By saying Khadija was the first woman, Abu Bakr was the first man, and Ali was the first child to embrace Islam, you create a sort of win-win situation. And this is probably why you find that this is the most common answer or belief amongst the majority of Muslims. Just a side note here, the majority of Muslims on the planet today are Sunni Muslims. The Shia, however, who constitute a minority of about 10% of Muslims worldwide, are absolutely unwavering in their support for Ali. They will not cede any ground. For them, Ali is number one, period. For the purposes of this podcast, our perspective is that Khadija takes the number one spot as the first believer of Muhammad's religion. She's then followed by her relative Waraka, who is often forgotten due to his early death. He actually died a very short period after his meeting with Muhammad that we mentioned in the last episode. Waraka takes the number two spot, but please do note that this is a somewhat of a light placement because of the fact that he didn't actually live to see Islam, Uh, he didn't live to see it blossom, he didn't even live to see Muhammad preach his religion and spread it, his placement on this list is more of an honorary placement. After that, we have three candidates for the next spot, and they are Abu Bakr, Ali, and Zayd. Now, 
while this is a trivial matter, who accepted Islam first, who accepted it second, I think it's quite interesting and also quite useful. It will become very useful later on when the Sunni and Shia split becomes a primary focus in the podcast. Personally, I'm inclined to give the number three spot to Zayd. The year that Muhammad began his career as a prophet is 610 AD. At this point in time, Ali was not yet an adult. And I think because of this, he is disqualified from contention. I think due to him being a child, I don't think he holds the same weight as an adult does in making such a life-changing decision like accepting Muhammad's message. So that leaves Zayd and Abu Bakr as the only candidates who were adults at the beginning of Muhammad's career as a prophet. Zayd would have been about 30 years old and Abu Bakr was about 38. And I just think if it was me in that situation, I think I would have approached my son, uh, albeit he was an adopted son, uh, before a close friend. So the only way to really know is if you were aware of the true nature of the relationship between Muhammad and his close friend Abu Bakr and Muhammad and his adopted son Zayd. Whichever was stronger would have been the one that he was most likely to approach first. So it's impossible for us to know. I'm leaning towards Zayd and it's up to you to decide who you think would have been approached first. Over the next three years of his life as a prophet, between 610 and 613 AD, Muhammad continued to secretly preach his message and invite carefully picked out candidates to embrace his religion. A list has actually been preserved for us containing about 50 names of people who have been described as being early converts to Islam. And by early, this most likely meant people who accepted Muhammad's message Uh, in the first few months after Revelation. These early converts can be split into three broad categories. The first category contains men who were from the most influential families of Mecca, families who were from the most influential and prominent clans of the Quraysh. These were people who either had a personal measure of power and wealth or they were close relatives to people who had power or wealth. An example of someone who falls into this category is Uthman ibn Affan. Uthman was a relatively young man uh, at the time of his acceptance of Islam. He was around the age of 30. He was from the very powerful Beni Abd al-Shams clan, which was, if you don't remember, a branch of the wider Beni Abd Manaf clan. We are told that Uthman was a very handsome man with a good head for business and an interest in fine clothes. The second group of the three categories was made up of people who belonged to clans that were not that powerful, uh, families that were not that influential in the grand scheme of Mecca, or people who were from significant clans but personally did not hold any significant power or wealth within their clan, either due to a lack of personal skill or ambition, whatever the reason may be, or due to the fact that they were simply too young to be considered. 
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Important or influential within their clans and within the city of Mecca. An example of this would be Abu Bakr himself. Abu Bakr would fall into this category because he belonged to the Beni Taim clan. The Beni Taim clan was not exactly a leading clan. And Abu Bakr did not personally hold any significant influence or sway within his own clan. He was nowhere near being, uh, for example, leader of the Beni Taim clan. Other people that would fall into this category are Sa'd ibn Abi Waqas, who we mentioned earlier. Traditional sources tell us that he was actually the 17th person to accept Muhammad's message, and he did this at the age of 17. So he was a relatively young man, uh, not capable of wielding significant influence within his tribe. Uh, another example is Talha ibn Ubaidullah, a member of the clan of Beni Taim, who we also mentioned earlier. He's from the same clan as Abu Bakr, and he was around 15 years old at the time of his conversion. So again, too young for him to hold any kind of significant power, wealth, or prestige. Ali would also be in the second category. He was from the influential clan of Beni Hashim, but he was also too young for his acceptance of Islam uh, to be converted into any political weight. The third and final category would consist of people who were on the lower rungs of society, the weakest. And this was practically everybody else who was not a member of the wide tribe of Quraysh. So this would be people who were members of other weak clans, uh, other weak tribes of Mecca, clans that were practically clients or vassals of the Quraysh because they relied on the Quraysh for protection. This third category would also contain people who belonged to no clan by birth, but were affiliated to a Qurashi clan and protected by them as confederates. Finally, right at the bottom of this category, in terms of the existing power structure in Meccan society, we find freedmen followed by Arab slaves, and then right at the bottom of the food chain, if you like, non-Arab slaves. An example of some people from this category, number one, we have the Abyssinian slave who is now famous, uh, known as Bilal. He was born into slavery in Mecca and he was a servant of a nobleman of the Quraysh known as Umayyah ibn Khalaf. He was from the clan of Beni Jumah and he would in the future become a staunch opponent of Islam. Another example of someone who would fall into this third category would be the early convert known as Ammar ibn Yasir, Ammar the son of Yasir. Ammar was born into a family of freed slaves, and although they were freed from slavery, they still served as servants of the people who had previously owned them as slaves. But they were officially clients or confederates for the powerful Beni Makhzum clan. Their status was only slightly preferable to that of a slave, a bit similar to a feudal serf, because although they were technically not slaves, they still worked as if they were slaves and as if they were owned by the person who had freed them, or 
the person whose father had freed them because they were almost inherited the same way a slave was uh, by the son of the man who had initially owned Ammar's father, Yasser. Ammar and his, his family owed their livelihoods entirely to the Beni Mahzum. And we will discuss this social dynamic further in a future episode. To conclude as to who exactly Muhammad's earliest followers were, we can say that the majority of them were young men who didn't hold that much sway or that much clout in society. There are some people who have claimed that Muhammad's message was the spark for a class war within Mecca which eventually spread to the rest of Arabian society. Meaning that he was mostly followed by people who were considered low class in Meccan society. Just like there were figures in Roman history such as the Gracchi brothers who looked to raise the position of the plebes over that of the patricians, some people have claimed that Muhammad set out to raise slaves in the lower classes amongst uh, Meccan society against the incumbent ruling class. This is not entirely accurate and it's a very misleading thing to claim because while Muhammad's movement did have certain aspects in it that did much to promote social equality and fraternity amongst the members of Muhammad's movement, it didn't stray very far from the classic and traditional Bedouin code of honor and generosity. Where this claim has come from is from analysis of early sources that say that his early followers were young men and weak persons. But what is meant by weak person in our context is somebody that does not have clan protection, somebody that doesn't have anyone willing to avenge them if they are harmed. And that is the whole basis around the Bedouin society in Arabia. Your entire livelihood, your entire safety was not due to a police service, a police force or an army. It was thanks to your clan, uh, people who associated themselves to you by blood, willing to protect you and willing to avenge you if you were harmed. Exact uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth or more if necessary. So when you look at Muhammad's early followers with that meaning in mind, you will see that the vast majority of them were not weak. We cannot put them in that weak person's category because they had clans behind them protecting them. For example, if we look at someone like Ali, he could not be put in the weak person category because although he was a young man, uh, a child incapable of physically defending himself and he was not rich because because of the fact that he was a child uh, so he wouldn't be able to pay someone to protect him we cannot put him in the weak person category because he was a member of the Beni Hashim clan so nobody would dare to harm him fearing reprisal from his from his clan in the words of Montgomery Watt the fledgling Islamic movement was by no means a movement of down and outs It was a movement of energetic and young men. This is to be expected really, because when has there ever been a revolution led by old men? When has there ever been a revolution supported by the incumbent ruling class? So for the first three years after the incident in the cave of Hira, Muhammad and most notably Abu Bakr set about spreading the word 
of Muhammad's message in a secret, private, individualistic manner. Meaning that they would only approach specific people who they believed beforehand would be receptive and very likely to accept and embrace the message of Islam. Next episode, we will begin to look at how Islam transformed from a private and individualistic religion into one with more of a mass appeal. Next episode, we will follow Muhammad as he goes public with his message. With every week that passes by and with each episode that comes and goes, we are leaving behind that introductory period of early Islamic history and the introductory period where we are cementing our understanding of Arabian society in late antiquity. I'm absolutely excited and almost impatient to get to the more fascinating and more interesting parts of Islamic history that we are edging closer and closer to with each episode. The more action-packed, if you like, periods of Muhammad's life and beyond that even. Currently, the History of Islam podcast is in the process of joining the Agora Podcast Network. If you have never heard of this network, well, it's a podcast network that specializes in educational podcasts, more specifically those of the historical nature. So the History of Islam is going to fit right in with many other great podcasts. For example, the current podcast of the month, The History of England podcast by David Crowther, a great podcast that is going through English history and Anglo-Saxon English history. If you are not already signed up as a listener of David's great podcast, then you can find more information on Agora's website, agorapodcastnetwork.com or historyofengland.typepad.com to access David's podcasts directly. It's a great listen and I would recommend it to all. That is all from me for now. Thank you for listening. Join me next Thursday where we'll be plowing ahead and moving forward in Islamic history and getting closer and closer to those hidden gems and the absolute treasure of entertaining stories that I am excited to bring to you. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you check out the blog for the episode guide and the other many resources available there. And also check out the new Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the History of Islam podcast. Keep your messages rolling in on Facebook and on the blog's contact page. And uh, goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.